Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. Today, we're continuing our week on artificial intelligence, and instead of focusing on doom and gloom and the end of humanity, today's episode will be devoted to seven benefits of artificial intelligence. Of course, it's being developed and used not to hasten our end, but to enrich our lives, and we're going to look at some of the ways in which it does enrich our lives today. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day, and this will be a very interesting uh, uh, contrast to Monday. Uh, when we start talking, you can talk about the technical aspects, but also the benefits uh, to help humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, AI is helping humanity, and so let's focus on that today. Yes, indeed. And uh, on Monday, we'll just point out that we... Uh, we discussed AlphaGo. That was a movie about DeepMind's Go playing artificial intelligence that sort of beat the world champion. If you want to check that out, that's available on our YouTube channel, Sons of Sequoia. That's S-E-Q-U-O-Y-A-H. Uh, also available in audio form wherever you get your podcasts. But shall we just jump straight into the article? Yes, yes. And uh, actually on Monday, we did talk uh, part of that uh, video. Uh, what we talked about on Monday was that uh, the intersection between machine and man, humanity and AI, uh, there's where we have to learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. And that's what this article is about. So let's go to it. Let's dissipate the anxiety, anxiety around AI and focus on what good it can bring us. Sounds good to me. So I believe that you may have your speakers up. Can you turn them down? Thank you. Okay, so this is seven benefits of AI that will help humanity not harm it. And like you said, and like the author said, let's dissipate the anxiety around AI and focus on what good it can bring up. And the author, of course, is Kashyap Vas. Kashyap Vyas. He's an entrepreneur, marketer, and writer. He holds a master's degree in thermal engineering with several research papers to his credit. Kashyap primarily authors in-depth content in the science and technology space. You can find more about him on LinkedIn. So we'd like to thank Kashyap for providing us this listicle uh, for which we can base our discussion today off of. Yeah, it's a very good list, and he he speaks well. Okay. It's, It's a good article. So artificial intelligence is an intriguing concept, and innovations in the field are growing by leaps and bounds. The implications of AI, both positive and negative, have fascinated experts and amateurs alike for many years. But there are some great benefits of artificial intelligence, yikes, that are perhaps not frequently considered. Digital technology has been developing at breakneck speed over the last few decades, and it is safe to say that today, most of us have significantly more technological power in our pockets than we had in our entire home back in the 1990s. There have been there have also been significant breakthroughs in the field of machine learning and deep learning. These concepts have allowed machines to process and analyze information and in some cases to learn for themselves in a very sophisticated manner. Thanks to these developments in AI technology, machines can now learn to perform complex functions such as facial recognition. That being said, there's been significant debate regarding the risks posed by artificial intelligence to humanity. There have even been concerns about AI taking control of our lives to the extent that it may prove to be detrimental to humanity. It is also feared that as a result of the application of AI into our daily lives, unforeseen consequences could occur, such as the development of killer robots and putting people out of work. There are also allegations that AI has already been used to manipulate elections. Fears of the potentially darker side of AI are one thing, but they are balanced by some surprising potential benefits that AI and machine learning could be poised to deliver. Here are some of the most notable examples. How do you feel about that introduction? Okay, that's a good introduction. Uh, He's trying to, uh, he's trying to get both sides of the the coin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it does a fine job. Uh, The, got to be careful. uh, There are, AI is just technology is all it is. And uh, there is a danger of putting a personality on the technology. Technology doesn't do things. People do things and people do the technology. And I think that's what he's going to, he's going to get into the value of, of technology to people and how it's going to help everything that, that we do. Uh, but also the introduction, 
I think it's a good introduction uh, about the risks and the benefits. Uh, but um, uh, again, uh, I don't know. I, I get a feeling like I don't want to put a humanity onto into technology. Uh, we have a tendency to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think technology is the frame in which we live our lives. And I think that there's a movie from early 80s, Koyan Niskatsi. And it's about how, you know, throughout the history of man, nature was where we lived. We lived in nature. And we fundamentally shift since the Industrial Revolution to living in technology. Now, so, you know, the way that we perceive life, the way that we perceive what needs to happen is sort of a technological frame upon which we hang everything. So whereas nature is cyclical, where things are born and they die and they return to the earth and they're used to sort of... Um, you know, fertilize the field. Your your dead bodies used to fertilize the field. Um, you know, the technological world requires constant positive growth. If you look at, you know, a, a stock market or a balance sheet for a company, if you're not growing, you're dying. And that's not the way nature works. And the fascinating thing about artificial intelligence is th there could be a time where artificial intelligence figures out a way to to sort of make the frame, the technology that we live in, cyclical and sort of have us sort of live within technology, but in harmony as we did in nature, or it could run rampant and kill us all. One of the two, <laughs> um, but we're not talking about the negative effects today. We're talking about the positive effects. So shall we get into number one? Sure, yeah, and I think Cash App uh, does, uh, it's a good introduction. Uh, and I think that as we get into this, we realize that technology is just technology. It's how humans use it or how humans view it. Yes, and I think that what he's saying here is very important. That uh, and he's, even on Monday, we said the same thing on Monday. Where we have to be careful. We have to be careful saying uh, that when we begin working with along with technology, technology becomes growing uh, importance in our lives. Uh, it can be positive and negative, like anything. Mm -hmm. And so let's just talk about the positives today, and maybe uh, another podcast we'll look at some of the negatives. And you have to balance those two. Yes. Okay. And um, I will say this, and of course we have we have an answer to this. We have a reversal, but the fear here that AI will put people out of work, and then the number one benefit, or the number one on the list, these used to be people doing jobs. Now they're robots doing jobs. So I mean, that's. Uh, the first benefit is it can do jobs that humans used to do. But I will point this out before we get into this because I always like to talk about in 1900, 80% of jobs in America were agricultural. 20% were industrial, financial services industry. Uh, by 2000, that had shifted. So if 80% of the jobs became 20% of the jobs, did you have 60% of the people out of work? No. Um, as we went from an agricultural society to a manufacturing society to an industrialized society, uh, the jobs went to different places. So as these jobs become the purview of machines, we hope that just like when we went from an agricultural society to a manufacturing society, we find places for humans to fit in where they didn't before. Right? That's right. Okay. That's right. So do you want to read uh, number one? Okay. Number one, AI has and will continue to enhance automation. Today, AI augmented robots can easily perform a variety of automated tasks, both inside and outside of the factory, without the need for constant human intervention. AI is poised to be a transformative technology for some applications and tasks across a wide suite of industries. Machine learning, deep learning, and other AI technologies are already being used to reduce human workloads in assembly, packaging, customer service, and HR, among other areas. This has reduced operational cost and employee costs substantially, bringing about a level of sophistication automation never seen before, never before seen. A beautiful example of the wonders of AI in enhancing uh, the level of automation can be seen in the Japanese machine tool builder, Okuma, in 2018, they highlighted a multitude of innovations to showcase the future of smart manufacturing. This includes robots for plants of all sizes, new and improved machine tools, 
and smart machine tools. Such examples clearly demonstrate the potential of AI for the future of work and industry. We may also see a rise in AI and robots working alongside human operatives too in the future. Called cobots, these robotic co-workers can help assist rather than fully replace human workers to help improve the overall efficiency and general happiness of their human colleagues. Companies like Amazon are already seeing benefits from this kind of working relationship between us and the machines. There Number we go. One. So obviously, you know, AI operated manufacturing, it's been a, I mean, it's been a thing for a long time. I mean, if you consider a computer, I, I think of like con computer number controlled uh, wood cutting or, you know, or milling, like that can do work that humans really can't. And sometimes you want a CNC made product more than you want something that was made by hand <laughs> because the tolerances are more. Uh, precise. So, and then you sort of extrapolate, oh, you know, we had CNC milling, what, 30, 40 years ago, circuit number controlled milling, but you sort of extrapolate, where can we go with this technology? As technology advances, the products we'll be able to create are going to be more and more magnificent. And it'll be, we'll be capable of creating them with less human intervention. I think that's a good thing in the long run. The question is, are we going to get those products and use them correctly? <laughs> uh, we put an iPhone in everyone's pocket, and uh, they've used it to look at cat videos and uh, try to overthrow democracy. So we're not <laughs> quite using it correctly yet, but m maybe we'll get there, right? Yeah, that's true. Now, speaking of Amazon, and while we're just, since we do this podcast three times a week, there was big news out of Amazon yesterday. Did you hear about the Blue Origin space flight? Yes. Okay. Now, just, I got to pull this up. Yeah, Bezos, Bezos and what, three other people. And uh, it was interesting, the people he went up with. Yes. Uh, here's my question. I'll pull up the rock, the picture of the rocket. Yeah, and what what uh, the article says here is that companies like Amazon are already seeing benefits from this kind of working relationship between us and the machines. Well, it's a lot. That's a simple sentence, but Amazon is doing a lot, but not only in manufacturing. Yes, <laughs> Bezos is also doing it in transportation and and space. Did you pull it up, David? I I have the image. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to put the image on the screen right now, and I'll ask you the question. Do you oh, think? Okay. Jeff Bezos may be compensating for something with the uh, shape <laughs> of this rocket. I have. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll touch. I'll, I'll. I'll talk about it real quick. We're we're looking at the Blue Origin rocket. It looks like a giant penis, and I don't think there's any other way you could describe it. Am Am I wrong? No. Yeah. yeah you got it. <laughs> you got it. It does. It. He can't help but, uh-huh. Uh so a billionaire, he wants to be cool by, you know, being a, going to space. And, of course, you know, Elon Musk is more focused on satellites and sort of building out, you know, satellite internet infrastructure. Uh, Jeff Bezos, he's saying, I want to be the guy in the rocket ship that goes to space. But his rocket ship looks like a giant dong. And <laughs> um, uh, I, it's less cool I, than I think he thought it would be, right? Well, I I don't I I don't know I I have a feeling I don't think he meant that at all. It, that's just what people are gonna. It is pretty obvious. I mean, you can you can see those kinds of images everywhere, and uh, I I can't say that he meant to do that. No, he didn't mean to do it. But the thing but it is, did it. But it happened. Yeah, it's there, and it's undeniable uh, to a majority of humans. I'm sure, especially. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I saw the Twitter trend yesterday and I clicked on it and I was reading through someone's article, you know, Jeff Bezos goes to, and it was probably three comments down because it, it was like first man space flight. Can't believe he's doing this while his workers have to pee in bottles. And then the third comment was, does anyone else think it looks like a giant dong? That was the third <laughs> comment. So, uh, I mean, I think they have a point, right? 
Well, it's undeniable when you bring it up. Uh, uh, yeah. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. I, that's totally off the topic, but I feel like since we broadcast three times a week and that happened yesterday, we would be remiss not to bring it up since it's current events. Yeah, you're right. So some things you see, you can't unsee. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's right or wrong or good or bad, I can't unsee that image. Like when that when the plans were presented to him for that rocket, did he take a look at it and he said, looks good? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but it looks good to me. <laughs> uh, so that we got off track there, but I'll, I'll get us back. Should we continue on with the article? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Number, yeah, number, number, number two. two. Artificial intelligence can help eliminate the necessity for humans to perform tedious tasks. One of the main benefits of artificial intelligence is its ability to reduce the drudgery involved in many work tasks. Repetitive, tedious tasks in any job are the bane of many human workers around the world. Some are so boring that mistakes are commonplace, as human attention can be difficult to sustain when conducting repetitive tasks. Such tasks, however, are perfectly suited for computer automation. This is where sophisticated artificial intelligences could come to the rescue. Machines excel in taking care of standardized processing work like data entry, freeing up human operatives to concentrate on more creative and interpersonal aspects of their jobs or lives. Let's take the example of the banking sector, which has seen something of a major breakthrough in this area. Thanks to the applications of AI, financial institutions today are seen taking full advantage of this technology to make banking quicker and easier for the consumers. This has already gone some way in giving financial workers some reprieve from the tedious aspects of their job and focus on deeper research and analysis of all-around consumer experience. In fact, a recent survey of IT leaders by MIT found that a large proportion of respondents welcome the use of AI to do the heavy lifting when it comes to repetitive tasks. Nearly half, 47% of them, strongly agreed with the statement that thanks to AI, we could dedicate more time to thinking creatively about the business challenges we and our clients face. Okay, I buy it. You're still muted. I buy that too. I think that's true. And I think that, uh, yeah. And I think the key there is the tedious tasks that, because humans are good at some tasks and machines are good at some tasks, you know, and I think there's so many examples of uh, we don't do things the way we used to because machine can do them better. Machines can do them so much better. Yes, well, I, I mean, I've done jobs where I've done data entry before, um, where that was a significant portion of the job. And the thing is, I'm good at data entry. I can stay focused. I type fast. I figure out shortcuts. And I know for a fact that in those positions, this is, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, that a computer would be better. For just remembering what those positions were like, I, even at the time, I'm like, isn't there a way to programmatically automate this? Like, shouldn't this? Shouldn't we be able to programmatically automate this? Like, because I can function for eight hours a day at 99% efficiency. You put me to 12 hours a day, maybe I'm 95. You put me to 18 hours a day, maybe I'm 90. Now a computer would be 100% 24 hours a day. And continual. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I had to go to the bathroom. I had to drink coffee. I yeah. had to take a lunch break. A computer could do some of these jobs that I've done. And I, I'm thinking about this. like They could do it just as fast or faster, probably faster. And they could, I mean, I saw, even though I'm good at something, that was sort of the interesting thing about AlphaGo. Like, you sort of get into a flow state. You're listening to music. You're entering data. You know, and you sort of zone out. You sort of zone out and zen out. And... You're sort of helping an organization put all the ducks in a row, and you feel some sort of value. They're paying you for it. And it's tough to say, this isn't something a human should be doing. Because, you know, you enjoy doing something, you're good at it, they pay you for it. But you realize that 10 years, 15 years down the line, this position won't be staffed by a human. It's fascinating to me. And I think that's mm-hmm. a lot, what a lot of people have difficulty doing. What if you had done that for your whole career? And you're 25 years into a career and they tell you, you know what you've sort of based your life on? Well, a computer can do it better now. That would be a difficult pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. But it's true. But a lot of the, uh, but a lot of the uh, robotics and a lot of the uh, 
machines that do the tedious work are designed after how humans do it. So the humans have helped them design these machines. Mm -hmm. So that that's not that much of a of a uh, uh, explanation to relieve their anxiety yeah. and their sadness of oh no I lost my job because uh, machine can do it better. Yeah, but the machine could have done it if you hadn't done it first to show how to do it. And and like you said, you found the shortcuts. A machine will not find shortcuts. Humans can find shortcuts, and you can you can create a machine to do those shortcuts because a lot of robotics were designed after human human workers mm -hmm. same yeah, thing here that, that one makes sense to me and i i just want to say there are people that you know that the drudgery involved in work tasks repetitive tedious tasks they sort of i mean i think i'm one of those people i sort of see it as a reprieve from having to deal with <laughs> maybe people that you don't really like dealing with, you can sort of just sort of get fully inundated in a repetitive, uh, tedious task, and that sort of becomes sort of a nice escape in your job. And and so there's some people that don't see the repetitive, tedious tasks as terrible. But then again, I've never had a job where that was eight hours a day of doing that or whatever. You know, I could see where it would sort of become dehumanizing after a, a while. But should we continue to the next one? Because this is the first one that I think is interesting. Yes, number three, mm -hmm. improving weather. For it's funny that he picked weather forecasting is another way AI can benefit humans. It's pretty interesting. Okay, you want me to read this one? Sure. Oh, it's a short one. Weather forecasting is highly complex and calls for intensive computing and deep learning networks that can empower computers to sift through and analyze large data sets far faster than humans ever could. In the past few years, we have seen the use of artificial intelligence and its associated technologies used in weather and climate forecasting. Called climate informatics, this field has already proved to be a very fruitful one, enabling greater collaboration between data scientists and climate scientists, bridging the gaps in our understanding. There are countless applications of AI aimed at accurate weather forecasting. IBM, for instance, used its computers to improve its forecast back as early as the mid-1990s. Such systems have been further enhanced with the incorporation of AI with IBM's graph system. Well, I can tell you right now, you know my feelings about the weatherman. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. The weatherman is always wrong. In fact, I did a video about it years ago. You did. Did you like it? You did. I did. I did like it. Uh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's three minutes. Should we watch it? If you, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. You going to play it? Yeah, I'll play it. Yeah, it's, it's. Well, I would say tongue-in-cheek. I'm sure you're serious about it. For me, it was like tongue-in-cheek. But there's a lot of good points in your video, David. Uh-huh. I'm going <laughs> yeah, to go ahead, I'm going to share screen so that you can see it. Or you can hear it, too. Are you ready? Ready. You may recognize the music. In his classic song, Subterranean Homesick Blues, Bob Dylan famously says, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. And while Dylan's right, I don't think he went far enough. I think that you don't need a weatherman at all. You see, the problem with the weatherman is that he's always wrong. You see him on TV grinning, shuffling around, pointing at his green screen, acting like he's the king of earth. He'll assure you that we should have mild weather for the next few days, and then the next thing you know, boom, storm of the century. And it would be easy enough to manage if there were any warning. But when you're relying on the weatherman, there's always no warning. No warning whatsoever. He'll tell you, a major snowstorm's coming in, so prepare to hunker down, folks. Then the next day it's 70 degrees and sunny, and you're at work in snow boots in a parka feeling like an idiot. It's almost as if he's deliberately screwing with you. If structural engineers were wrong as often as the weatherman, all of the buildings and bridges in the world would collapse. If we depended on the weatherman the way we depended on real scientists, our doom would be certain. 
The weatherman likes to play at science and simultaneously hedges bets by couching his wildly inaccurate predictions in the form of percentages. He'll say, 20% chance of rain when it's pouring outside and 80% chance of snow when it's obviously going to be sunny all day. These percentages give him plausible deniability for when he is wrong, which is always. But if they were actually based on science, they wouldn't be such a round number. So not only is the weatherman always wrong, but he's clearly also a fraud and a liar. But even though I said earlier that you don't need a weatherman at all, he does serve one purpose. You see, human beings have an innate need to complain. By virtue of who we are, we get angry. We get upset and we need to express that anger. We can't just bottle it up or something bad is bound to happen. And that is the purpose of the weatherman. Complaining about our coworkers or bosses could have negative career consequences. Complaining about our friends can negatively affect our interpersonal relationships and social standing. And complaining about our family can damage relations with the people who matter to us the most. So, instead of complaining about someone that matters, it's much better to complain about someone who doesn't matter at all. Someone whose value to you and whose value to society is negligible, even on a good day. Someone in an obsolete occupation whose job can easily be done by a widget on the home screen of my phone. The Weatherman. This has been my Sunday Soapbox. Thanks for watching. <laughs> there we see, go. You turned it, see, David, you turned it around. You turned it around. See, now there's value in, in the weatherman because when he's wrong, you can complain about it and feel good. Yes. Don't complain about your family, your coworkers, your friends. Let's just complain about the weatherman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that one. I like that that video a lot. That was a good one, David. Also, but you know. Oh, go ahead. But also that that, you know, I think a lot of the weatherman is talks about meteorology, mm -hmm. not climatology. Yeah. And I think the IBM graph system, uh, the atmospheric forecasting system, uh, has a lot of data, uh, global data for atmospheric forecasting as far as the climatology is concerned. Uh, and so there's value in it, uh, but also it can be looked at differently as your video just illustrated. Yes. Well, I mean, also, we live in Colorado, so... Um, just north of us, about 30 miles, is NOAA. And NOAA does all the, the weather predictions. And I, it always sort of ground my gears. Even here in Colorado, these weathermen, they're sort of like local pseudo-celebrities. They get up there, and NOAA will say something, and they'll try to put their own spin on it. It's like, oh, you think you know more than NOAA? You obviously don't. Like, you're a fraud. Like, whatever NOAA says, that's what, that's what they use as their baseline sort of forecast. But whenever they try to put their own, oh, I'm looking at the data and I see something different. Oh, you see something different than, you know, hundreds of real scientists doing real work? Like, I don't believe you. I believe them. Um, that and <laughs> going back to the article, you know, the amount, we watched AlphaGo on Monday. The amount of permutations or combinations or whatever of potential Go positions is more than the number of atoms in the universe or whatever. Um, so I think that using AI, if you could do a, to sort of predict weather is a fantastic application for it because it can see more, uh, probabilistic and deterministic factors than humans can. Um, and it can analyze things as they change in real time, probably better than humans can. And they can get very granular and sort of give you confidence intervals that are more accurate than any human could ever develop using the tools currently available. So yes, I see that this this is good. I'm all for it. I'm all for AI weather prediction. Well, the the also the the AI there have been models before, uh, and you take uh, data and you validate the models uh, like finite element modeling, and but but what I think uh, what AI is doing is is going much deeper in learning from uh, the actual data, like satellite, like IBM's graph system, the satellite data, uh, and also learning at uh, uh, incorporating other pieces of information of, of the, the solar system 
uh, the universe, the planetary system, and how everything works together uh, globally, which we haven't had that data and that much detail before. And when you have access to that much data, your models are going to become much more sophisticated. And I think that's kind of the idea behind AI. Mm -hmm. AI is, is impacting weather forecasting. And when they say weather forecasting, uh, that's a big term. It's not just what's going to happen this afternoon. It's like, how is our climate changing? Yes. Like global warming. Uh, where is it? Where is it going to be more severe than other places? When you have global warming, it's not just everything gets warm, and but it's going to be different in different parts of the globe, mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to be different seasons. It's going to have different effect, and and so the AI can do that much better uh, than human models, which human models a lot of them are more they're probabilistic and stochastic, but they are much more uh, uh, limited in their scope, but AI can incorporate much more data because we have large big data sets now. Yeah, and also, I mean, it could drill down probably more geographically specific. So in Colorado, we're having a drought that would have been considered a 100-year drought, but we had a 100-year drought in 2002. So 19 years later, we're having another 100-year drought, and people are sort of ascribing it to some of the deleterious effects of climate change. Um, now, I think AI will be able to drill down on a base, a river basin by river basin uh, projections. So it's like, yeah, the state is in a drought, but you know, how does that play out in the Colorado River Basin as opposed to the Arapahoe River Basin? How does that play out in the Rio Grande River Basin as opposed to the South Platte River Basin? I think that AI might be able to give you a more granular look at what sort of water will be available to farmers and ranchers and to municipalities. Um, in, in more finite geographical areas than just what does the drought say about Colorado as a whole? Because they see, they see, the other thing too is, is historically a lot of the scientists in science is more reactive to what has happened, creating models to try to predict the future, but the prediction of the future is only based on the, on how much information they had in the past and how well the, the models predict the past or from the prediction of the past. But with AI today, with so much more data, they can actually look at, at uh, 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 much more sophisticated models, as you say, more granular, but also more proactive in looking at the future. Yeah. So the forecasting is gonna be uh, much more informed uh, through AI, uh, through more of these uh, analytical models. He talks about climate informatics uh, where you're combining the uh, climatologists with the data scientists. Uh, and so it's not just saying the numbers say this or uh, climatology says this, it's combining them into a different type of analysis. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think uh, I think accurate weather forecasting, uh, I think is much too limiting of a term. It's understanding how weather changes in the future. Say, so yes, you're forecasting weather, but not just tomorrow or this afternoon, you're looking at how the weather of our globe is changing. Yeah. And I also think that what you'll see for weather, in terms of weather, not climate, is computers have the ability to say there was the exact same uh, pressure, you know, whatever, inches of mercury in Kansas in 1991 in this county. And we're seeing that same exact phenomenon in this county in Nebraska in 2023. And in Kansas, there were devastating tornadoes, you know, F5, F4 tornadoes. So we can confidently issue a tornado warning 5, 10, 15 minutes earlier because the AI picks it up and it's sort of doing a reverse search in the database whereas a human wouldn't be able to do that. So it's like, oh, I'm looking back 35 years. This data leads me to believe that we should ring the tornado bells 15 minutes early. You might save lives. Uh, just because the AI has the ability to use a broader search area and incorporate more data from across all time. You're absolutely right. I think that was his next point or number four. Oh. Uh, he... <laughs> then maybe right. See, it's just a natural progression. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I think he saw that too. And I think it's very, very true. Because mm -hmm. it does help predict what's going to be happening uh, with the weather or 
are disasters and devastations, mm -hmm. hurricanes and fires and and earthquakes uh, and uh, tsunamis. Yes. Uh, tsunami prediction. So there's a, so much that can be done with AI. Uh, so I may have been accidentally reading ahead and that became my argument. But should I read this uh, segment? Sure. Number four. California saw uh, number four is next generation disaster response is another reason why AI is good. California saw major devastation in 2017 due to the onslaught of wildfires. More than 1 million acres of land was reported burned in wildfires that also claimed the lives of around 46 people and led to the loss of hundreds of homes. The large-scale wildfires in Australia between 2019 and 2020 also caused severe damage and loss of life. Due to the increasing threats of extreme weather events like these, more and more government authorities and organizations are embracing artificial intelligence to help fight these disasters with algorithms and satellite data. AI has ably demonstrated its utility in building smart disaster responses and providing real-time data of disasters and weather events. This helps save valuable time, enabling disaster response in a more targeted and efficient manner. Once sophisticated enough, it could theoretically offer warnings with enough time to safely evacuate any people in a danger zone. It also It is also expected that deep learning will soon be integrated with disaster simulations to come up with useful response strategies. That makes to sense me, to me. Oh, it makes sense to me too. To me, again, it's being more proactive than reactive. Like, oh, let's go here, let's go there. No, this is going to be a, a hot spot. So let's prepare for that uh, to, to simplify that a little bit. But yeah, I think that uh, the, the AI, what AI will be doing is understanding what is happening uh, rather than reactively more creating models and saying predicting what can happen much much faster uh, than humans can, mm -hmm. than humans have in the past. And uh, time uh, is a precious, precious uh, uh, ingredient in saving lives and saving property and saving uh, and, and addressing these disasters. Mm -hmm. And it's not, he mentioned wildfires, but also you have earthquakes. Uh, you can predict earthquakes. Uh, you can predict tsunamis. You can predict uh, uh, hurricanes uh, and tornadoes, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Flash floods. Fly oh, that's that's one thing I was thinking about. Uh, the uh, they know that these wildfires today, wildfire wildfires today, uh, will have uh, will be ingredients of more disasters later, mm -hmm. like flash flooding and mud uh, mudslides. Mudslides. That's another thing. Yeah, mudslides, mudslides, flash uh, floods, but also uh, it, it changes the topography, it changes the relief, and it's going to change the stress mechanisms, and it it could uh, in years subsequent years here, and not a long time, but as soon, it could start having uh, different types of earthquake type uh, uh, events, mm -hmm. and all this can be part of a, uh, a projection. As we saw in Muddy on Go, they can see all these possible scenarios where humans, it'll take a long time to figure it out. We can do it, but it takes time. Uh, AI and computers can do it much faster. Yeah, I mean, I think that also there's sort of this hope that, like you said, like with Go, that we get from, oh, there's about to be a tornado, get out of here, or, oh, there's about to be a fire, get out of here, 10 minutes quicker to, oh, drill a hole 45 feet into the ground and fill it with concrete and rebar. And that'll keep this hill from falling on your town in 10 years. I mean, we might get to prescriptive, you know, uh, suggestions like that from AI, where it's like, oh, you would never have thought about doing this, sort of like move 37 in AlphaGo, where mm -hmm. you do something five years in advance and it sort of sa saves your hide 10 years down the road or whatever, or five years down the road, uh, but you would never have seen it, but a machine could see it. Yeah, you said that much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to say, uh, in essence. Yeah, that's very good. And I think that is one really valuable. Um, but also, they also meant AI has ably demonstrated its, its utility in building smart, Disaster responses. 
and providing real-time data of disasters and weather events. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing is prediction. The other thing, the other really valuable thing is responses. Uh, because it has so much information, so much data, so much things happening at once, the response strategy uh, can minimize the time, but also do the right things at the right time. The responses as far as time, uh, decision-making, uh, implementation, uh, 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 launching different types of initiatives, pulling back, shifting uh, in disasters on how to get this stuff done uh, it, it, to save lives and save property uh, and, and to achieve your objectives uh, and lives and property. The, the time and effective and efficacy of doing that, AI can, can enhance that. Mm -hmm. So I think the response to that also is, is the key. So you have prediction and then you have responses. And then, as you said, uh, once you have your responses, you can learn from that because AI learns from data. They can learn what happened and they can say, this is how you move forward afterward. Mm -hmm. And so with a disaster, you're going to have the, react the prediction of it, the reaction to it, the mitigation of the, the risks of it, but then going forward to try to lower the, the likelihood of it happening again. And I can do AI can do all those things. Humans know how to do them. They can put what humans know how to do into AI. And then AI AI can do what humans do. They just do it faster and better. And so you and faster and better. And uh, anyway, I just I, it, these these two are very 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 good. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's clear how AI can uh, really help humans do what they do better and faster because time is Time is lives. So we continue. Number five. Number five. Yep. You want to read it? AI could free humans from putting their lives on the line. There's a picture of a of a of a uh, soldier. Soldier. Looks like a radio operator with a scope. Okay. That's not an M15 anyway. Uh, it is a common trope that AI will one day be the end of humanity as robots and machines either distill, destroy, or enslave us all. However, what is usually ignored is the fact that the incorporation of AI in our daily lives could help free us of many responsibilities that we do not want or need. A persuasive example in this regard is the future of war and weaponry. AI shows immense promise as a potential application in war as stipulated in Paul Scar's book, Army of None. Uh, as stated in his book, in the future, militaries and machine intelligence are expected to work in tandem to, to conduct wars. This would likely mean AI and robots taking on the more dangerous roles in combat instead of putting human beings in the literal firing line. Needless to say, there are some very serious ethical issues to work out first before we give AI the ability to potentially take life. But AI could help save human lives in other areas like disaster rescue situations. We may one day see AI-powered firefighters or assist first responders to locate and save lives during environmental or industrial catastrophes. Okay, well, he talks about the military then at the end, he just talks about uh, Firefighters uh, search and, and first responders. Yeah, search and rescue. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, there. I think the a key phrase is there are some very serious ethical issues to work out first. Uh, but then he says to take potential to potentially take life. Uh, but there's other ethical issues about just uh, creating AI and weaponry. For the purpose of war, yeah, and, and I think uh, we've seen in the in our history, human history, uh, the downside of war is the loss of life, uh, but also there's other negative aspects of war as well, mm -hmm. uh, and that is a way to. It is not an effective way to resolve differences, and I think the ethical issues of resolving differences should not be war. 
I think there should be something different than that. Whether you're, because uh, when humans start wars, uh, maybe machines get destroyed, but uh, people who start wars want power. And uh, so there's a, there's some ethical issues there on how to create more of a society. So yes, it, it can save lives in the short term, but also we have to be careful that it doesn't create a, uh, a source of expediency to declare more war. Mm -hmm. We don't want to make war easier. Yeah. We want to eliminate war. <laughs> At least that's, that's my opinion. That's my opinion that, that I'm going to throw out there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I agree. It, it, I, I, I agree it can relieve uh, uh, human deaths and human casualties. But I think the ethical issues is let's be careful that we don't use this to make war easier. Uh, let's try to eliminate war and have something substitute for war. And that is uh, something where people do not need the power because the power is distributed to where everyone benefits, I, where it's unequal. I think it's already substituting for war. I think that the idea of, you know, soldiers in a war zone, that's that's true still. I mean, that's one way that war is conducted. But another way that war is conducted is the Chinese, Joe Biden yesterday accused the Chinese of hacking Microsoft Exchange servers and getting access to corporate emails of people on Microsoft Exchange servers. He named the Chinese. We see the Russian fancy bear hacking outfit hacking commercial concerns and holding them hostage for ransomware, exposing the vulnerability of our infrastructure, even, you know, our pipelines in the southeast. And you look at these, these are asymmetrical forms of war. And these are asymmetrical forms of war that can be addressed with artificial intelligence. Now, one thing that's extraordinarily scary is our push for quantum computing may invalidate all of the current SHA-256 hashing um, because quantum computers may be able to break encryption. At that point, how valuable is Bitcoin? How valuable are cryptocurrencies if if encryption can be broken with a quantum computer? Who will get to quantum supremacy first? Will it be the Chinese? Will it be the Americans? That is a big question. And I think that's a question that will mean more uh, in terms of what shapes the 21st century than how many aircraft carriers we have, how many fighter jets we have, how many boots we can put on the ground in a war zone. And so I do think that you can think of war in terms of AI may facilitate or sort of accommodate fewer boots on the ground in a skirmish between two great powers. But a skirmish between two great powers may in the future be a skirmish between one great power's AI versus another great power's AI to, to sort of see who can subvert the resources of their adversary or bolster their own resources with greater computer processing and intelligence. Because war is about about power. The I at least that's what I say. Uh, there was a, I think it was a Star Trek episode. I probably shouldn't have, I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast, but I think it was a Star Trek episode where uh, where uh, Captain Kirk and Spock they they came onto this world and and they were having a war and. The war was on computers. And so they walked into one of the war rooms. It says, yeah, we're, we're having a war. Oh, you are? Yeah. And so we just, and all the, the war was on, was all digital. Mm -hmm. And they says, oh, we just took this many lives. We just took this many lives, this many lives. And we said, and I think Captain Kirk or Spock says, those are real lives. He says, no, no, they're just they're just theoretical. But then once the war was over and one side won, then they said, oh, uh, we won. And because we only lost this many lives, the other side lost this many lives. So now each of us have to define who we're going to pick to eliminate in our society. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought... Wow, you know that's that's crazy. It's this 
we lost the war. Now we have to uh, pick the people that need to be eliminated because that's what we agreed upon in our war. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's off offline here, but who knows where this is going to go? Because uh, there will be wars and rumors of wars because people don't change and people still want power and they still want to win and they want more power. And so I don't know uh, how this plays out. Well, I, I honestly think that that's sort of going on today. And uh, we did China last week. We discussed Chinese issues and the United States and China have conducted war games um, sort of war analytic scenarios, and they've determined that the United States can't stop China from succeeding in a ground invasion of Taiwan to sort of control and annex it and sort of bring it back into the fold. China would argue that it was never out of the fold. It's always been part of China. Now, those games, I think, I'm sure they use very complicated analytical techniques to sort of make those determinations. Um, now, the reason China wouldn't do that right away is because that will start a cascade of events that maybe is negative for them. Now, what if a computer could be strong enough to do the war games and sort of see the geopolitical fallout, sort of predict the actions of world leaders and sort of provide them with a threat and risk assessment for that activity? Would they then be more likely to do it if the computer is telling them, oh, the fallout, you can manage that, this will be a net positive? Would they be more likely to take aggressive actions if, the, if it was backed by artificial intelligence telling them this is a viable option? Uh, that's a good point. And whose AI was that? Was it China's AI or was it uh, someone else's AI? Because mm -hmm. you, can, you can program these things and feed them different information. Because the information you feed a neural network uh, to the information China has to feed it is different than the information the United States has to feed uh, AI to come up with a with a learning with machine learning type system. So what information do you feed it? So so there are some well, that's just how we see things today. I think in the future it's going to really evolve into something that's much more sophisticated than what we even yeah. see today. I'm sure that your and my understanding of how war works is not as nuanced as the actual way that it works today, let alone how it's going to work 25, 30, 50 years into the future. I agree. But I agree. hopefully AI does save lives of our boys in uniform and gals, guys and gals in uniform, and hopefully it saves the lives of the guys and gals in uniforms of all nations throughout the world whether they be our allies or our adversaries. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, David. The men and women in uniform everywhere. They're people. I, I want to say that. The men and women, the brave men and women everywhere in every nation, whether they're on our side or against our side, they all have parents. They all have mothers and fathers and, and families. And I think that uh, it it began began to really disturb me when they said this was a very good attack because we only lost this many lives. The other side lost this many lives. They say we should be saddened on both sides because mm -hmm. there's families on both sides and we should just eliminate all of this crap. Yeah. Anyway, like the uh, classic Golda Meir quote, and I'm going to butcher it, I'm paraphrasing, but talking about the Palestinian aggression into Israel and their retaliation. And she said, you know what? Someday we may forgive them for killing our children, but can we ever forgive ourselves for killing their children? That's what she said. Um, let's continue. On that bright note, let's continue with number six. AI is on call all the time. AI never sleeps. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than an ominous statement, this is actually potentially very beneficial to us all. Humans need to eat, sleep, rest. Machines and AI do not. So long as it has a supply of electricity, in theory, AI can work all the time, for eternity. Excluding breaks like <laughs> popping to the toilet, having a cigarette, or eating food, humans tend to work between 4 and 10 hours a day. AI never needs to go for a bathroom break, sleep, or eat, and so can be working 24-7 at peak performance. This will reduce errors, maintain critical services, and enable businesses and other organizations to provide services that their users rely on, like helplines, etc. 
For educational and research institutions, this could lead to some major breakthroughs and future discoveries that would have wide-ranging benefits for us all. That I makes agree. Sense. That makes sense. I think we can just move on to number seven, right? There's not, not much to talk about there. That makes sense, right? Well, I could talk for a whole hour on educational research institutions. That's going to change things. It's going to change learning. It's going to change... It's going to change... Uh, uh, higher education for sure yeah i was talking i was talking to a friend of mine i think yes two days ago and he says yeah we're going to get back to normal and i says no we're not going to go back to normal uh this pandemic has has shown how things can be done online and and we've learned more about how to do things online like we're like we're doing now with this podcast mm -hmm. and and the youtube and this youtube on the youtube channel since it's a Koya podcast YouTube channel, it's not going to go back to the way it was before. We're going to keep getting better and better and progressing. And education, I said, so many people learn through this thing now instead of in a classroom. And so, yeah, so much, so much more is going to be changing because once that lecture is up here, once the instruction is here, once the ability to learn is right here, then they don't have to go to a classroom anymore, they can look at that thing over and over and over again. And I would suspect in 10, 20 years, maybe even less, that a majority of, of education, especially in the professional schools, is gonna be here and not in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we could talk forever about that, at least I, I could. Yeah, I mean, I think that the point that the article is making though is that AI never sleeps. And that's, I mean, it can be used in educational and research institutions. It can be used for helplines and sort of like how that affects educational institutions like asynchronous education where you post a video on YouTube and YouTube always makes it available to your students even at three in the morning. You don't have to be there to lecture them. I mean, that's, I mean, that's an obvious benefit, but I think that people can see like I was saying with my data entry job, you know, a decade ago, I could do it and I was good at it, but I was 98, 99% efficient and AI would be 100% efficient. I worked eight hours a day, but really, did I work eight hours a day? I took an hour long lunch. I took, uh, you know, bathroom breaks, coffee breaks, whatever. And an AI would work 24 hours a day with a 100% efficiency. So, I mean, I think that's all that this article is alluding to now the pandemic and sort of implementation of technological solutions and educational, that's, that's more than just being on call all the time, you know? That's sort of introducing tools beyond, you know, 24-7 availability that haven't been introduced that are changing the face of education. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think it fits under this topic. Mm. I, I, I think it definitely fits under the topic of it never sleeps. The instruction is always there. Yeah. It's always there. And and I can be really careful to make sure, uh, sometimes I make mistakes, but I can be really careful to make sure that this is exactly what I want to teach. I uh, go through it a number of times. It's exactly right. Well, if I did that in a classroom, if I did that over and over again, yeah, ten, mistakes. 10 takes, 15 takes or whatever, yeah. yeah you can, you can edit mistakes. stuff down. Yeah, and to say... Yep, that's exactly what I want to say. Uh, if I do it in the classroom, do it three times. Uh, oh no, that's not right. I made a mistake. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, then once it's there, uh, it's going to be continual. But anyway, uh, I, I just—it's uh, simple. AI never sleeps. Mm -hmm. But I think that's important. Yeah. And also, AI uh, makes essentially no mistakes. Mm -hmm. It can make a mistake, but essentially it, it's not going to make any more mistakes. And so you can, so once humans begin to rely on it, uh, then they'll, they'll, they'll accept it more as, as improving their lives. Mm -hmm. So, uh, moving on to the last one. Sound good. Number seven. Yeah. You read AI it? could, AI could create new jobs. And this is pretty much what you said earlier on. Okay. Well, there are some very real concerns about the potential to eliminate 
or make some types of jobs redundant, AI could also open entirely new areas of work. The application of AI in businesses will, will also force the job market to evolve, which, with the right preparation, could be a very good thing. From various maintenance and supporting roles to entirely new careers not yet dreamed of, the widespread adoption of AI could be a brighter future for all of us, and we've been here before. Similar fears to those around AI have surfaced around most new forms of technology. Sometimes the fears are well-founded and sometimes not, but either way, the genie of new technology cannot be put back into the model. All we can do is learn how to use it wisely and to our advantage. And that is your lot for today. While there are some very real concerns about its development, AI, AI could be the best thing since sliced bread if adopted properly. Hmm. Uh, the devil's in the details, though, right? Devil's in the yeah. He's, yeah, he's right. And anything could be good or bad, no matter what it is. And uh, yeah, it's a good way to end a really a, a good article. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a good article. And also it's it's just brings people to thinking about the positive aspects. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much what we're doing today. And I like I like what we did today. Well, it's like manufacturing. You know, you manufacture tractors, you require less agricultural labor. You know, John, the John Deere tractor, you know, can plow the field. What that would have taken a team of horses and, and 10 men or whatever. And it's like, well, you're going to need 10 fewer farmers, you know? And it's like, yeah, but they'll find work elsewhere. I mean, the the, his, the procession of history marches on. And you look at the adoption of the internet. You know, if you were a person that sat in a newspaper office and sold classified ads all day, I'm sure Craigslist was really scary to you because they did your job for free. And that's true. There are hardly any more classified ads in the world anymore. And yet the world has moved on and found other ways to, to sort of cope. So I do think that AI, it's scary because it's new. And it does sort of threaten our traditional ways of thinking. Um, could it threaten humanity? Perhaps. But I think for now, we have to sort of learn to live with it because it's coming whether we like it or not. Well, the people who used to work at Sears don't work there anymore. But the young people... They're not going to be looking for jobs at Sears. They'll be looking for jobs at other places. Mm -hmm. uh, and there will be plenty of jobs. They're just not the same kind of jobs. And so uh, people will, uh, since I think the number of jobs will begin, the variety of jobs are going to be beginning to grow. And so uh, with technology, uh, so you're not, Everyone is not tied into just you're either doing A, B, or C. You can do a, a multitude of types of jobs. And I think in the future, what's going to happen is people are going to start migrating to what they are very good at. And so as the jobs begin to multiply in type and and, and, and uh, the different type of jobs and the different te technology and expertise that are needed, people will begin to be put in positions better suited for their personality and ability. Mm -hmm. I think I think we're going to have much, uh, a, a much happier, uh, much uh, more rewarding uh, workforce in the future because people will be put exactly where they're good. And so one one benefit of work is you're respected, you do good work and you respect your own work and you work around people that respect you. And so it's it's not so much about the money. Uh, it's about it's about doing good work, and you know you did good work, and you're around people who who understand that and respect you. And I think if you can put people exactly where they're good, then that's that that's going to be a better workforce. I remember when I, I worked at an organization where this guy we were doing research. This guy came into our group, and uh, he kept making mistakes, and uh, he just couldn't do. We were doing rock mechanics. And he just couldn't do it. And this, and oh man, uh, he's gonna really get someone hurt because he keeps. Uh, so finally, he moved to a different group. But in that group was exactly what he knew. He, he was he was very good at. Hmm. In other words, 
he was a round peg in a square hole. <laughs> and so when he found where he needed to be, all of a sudden he flourished. And I think technology will broaden the number of jobs and people are going to start finding where they fit. It's not just one job anymore. It's not just go work for this company and do whatever they tell you. No, it's finding what fits your your expertise and your ability. And everyone is smart. Mm -hmm. Everyone has ability. Everyone has a gift. They just have to find out what it is. Yep, I think that's a good place to end it. So hopefully AI will help us find out what those uh, talents and abilities are. Um, is there anything you'd like to say as we wrap this up? You got the music going there, David? It's going right now. Sons of Sequoia podcast. We say keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. We'll see you in the next one, everyone. Bye.